It's December 28th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Wright Report, your daily news podcast. And welcome, my friends, to the third installment of the series called Unscripted. As y'all know, this week I'll be covering listener questions about America and the world with no script, just a conversation, answering your inquiries with facts and data, plus my analysis and opinion. Well, on Monday, we covered the Middle East and Asia. Yesterday was mostly U.S. politics. And today, we'll be diving into questions about me, the CIA, and the latest on this podcast, where things are going for the year 2024. So let's get right to it. Michael from just outside of Oklahoma City wrote in asking a question on behalf of his son, Jacob. He said, Brian, when you worked at the CIA, did you ever have fun or were you always scared? Well, bless your heart, Jacob. I did have a lot of fun. A lot of fun. In fact, uh, most of my best stories involving fun involve time that I spent with members of the United States Marine Corps. I cannot tell you those stories, uh, not because they are classified. Rather, they just involve Marines. I'll let your father explain what that means to you when you're around 18 or so. But in the meantime, let me tell you some fun stories that still bring a smile to my face. Uh, One of them that I always remember, and I love telling this story. When I was in training, uh, there was a young lady who was, as we called her, a Barbie. Uh, She was pretty, dainty, and, well, she was a very sweet gal, but not really kind of the frontline fighter that you would imagine. And we were in a class, uh, they were teaching us land navigation, which is how to follow certain routes through terrain that you're unfamiliar with. Kind of like exploring, but, you know, not getting lost. And you have very specific missions or purposes in mind as you go out there and explore. Well, in this class, Miss Barbie uh, and the rest of us, we were learning uh, how to go about the business of land navigation and we were getting compasses. Of course, that was supposed to help us with directions and such. Well, as she opened up her compass, uh, she giggled with joy because inside was a mirror. And she was quite excited to use that to check her makeup and look pretty, which, of course, is not the point of land navigation, or nor is it the, the point of a compass. But nevertheless, some of the other fellas and I saw her doing this, and we thought to uh, ourselves and told each other later, oh, Lord, have mercy. This is not going to go well for her. And it did not. So we uh, set off on an exercise, and it was supposed to last about 10 hours, um, but by hour 14, Miss Barbie had not shown up where she was supposed to. So the instructors, they sent out a, a search crew, and eventually they did find her. She had fallen into a CB hole. Uh, there was a hole that was dug many years prior by some boys in the Navy for another purpose. But by uh, well, after the, perp- uh, the number of years had passed, the, the hole eventually uh, filled up with water and she didn't see it and she fell right into it. And poor thing, bless her, she was a little bit of a shorter gal and she, she didn't have the strength to pull herself up and out. And so the search crew, they found her and she looked like a, a wet gopher poking her head out of the hole waiting for help. So I later asked her, Uh, If she happened to have fallen in because she was so busy looking at herself in her compass mirror, which uh, she did not appreciate. But here's the great part. This gal, she went on to be an absolutely incredible officer. She uh, recruited some of the most important people that the agency has on the books. 
But critically, she was deployed to cities, not rural environments or the mountains. Not much of a country gal. But that's the great thing about the CIA. It is a place for everybody. So, Jacob, good question. And by the way, I'll also tell you, I had a ton of fun learning how to use my car as a weapon. We got to squirrel around on a, a racetrack during training, and that was so much fun. And uh, also, wait for that until you're 18 as well, Jacob. Or better yet, just go to a carnival, get into some bumper cars. We got another question this morning, this one from Michelle. She is the daughter uh, of a listener as well. Michelle is 11 years old, and she said, Dear Brian, my dad explained that you had to lie when you were in the CIA, uh, but we are not supposed to lie. So did you ever feel like a bad person because you were lying so much? From the mouth of babes come the toughest questions. Well, Michelle... No, I did not feel like a bad person until right now. Just kidding. Uh, It's a really great question and very important and totally fair. Because you're right. On one hand, we are taught to be good people, to, to not lie and to have good morals. But on the other hand, the government, they asked me to lie. And that was to protect myself and my operations. Because if I told the truth that I was in these various countries and I was stealing their secrets then I probably would have gotten arrested or worse. And so too would have my uh, assets or the spies that I worked with. So I'm hearing you. But I tell you, I I, want to tell you a story about this issue of lying and how it can be uncomfortable for all of us and it's important to wrestle with. So this story happened during my first tour, uh, in other words, which is your first time abroad. And I was starting to build a relationship with somebody that had very important access to very critical information. And I wanted that person to share it with me, to to be my spy, you know, for me and America. And I had to then obviously do something that I was taught as a boy not to do, which uh, was to lie to this person and manipulate them to make them believe that I was their friend. Because again, uh, the idea that is that as a CIA officer, I want these people uh, to trust me and then to slowly start sharing information with me that I and the country really need. Now, in this case, that process of working uh, and and talking to this person, lying, manipulating, it started to work. The person began to tell me some very personal things about themselves, very embarrassing stuff that they and their religion would normally not want to do. And they had never told anybody else about it, but they did me because they thought they could trust me and that I wouldn't share it, but they were wrong. I was taking all that information about them and sharing it with my colleagues at the CIA. Well, at one point I went back to CIA headquarters to talk to my colleagues about this case and this person and their information. And I shared with one of the officers um, that I spoke with back at uh, Langley that it it just felt weird and uncomfortable to lie and manipulate uh, with this person because they were a really nice person. And had I not worked for the CIA, I would probably have been their friend. I would have kept their confidence, not shared all their secrets. And that CIA officer that I had mentioned uh, this to and was sharing it with said, well, Brian, I think you're in the wrong line of business. You're supposed to lie and manipulate people for a living. So that wasn't exactly the most receptive response, uh, and their face told me that, uh, well, they didn't think much of me. And that was hard because this guy was a very important officer, and I I looked up to him professionally, and he was telling me basically I wasn't cut out for the job. Uh, 
So I went to a different guy and I sat down with this very senior officer and I wish I could tell y'all more about him. He really is one of the most incredible people I have ever met. He's a very senior guy who started uh, and and put together some of the most important operations regarding uh, regarding stopping the spread of nuclear weapons and ballistic missile technology. At any rate, I sit down with this guy and I tell him about the discomfort that I had with this particular case, the the line, the manipulating of, of this person. And that it was kind of hard to hear from the other officer that maybe I wasn't cut out to be an intel guy. And here's what this incredible officer, the new guy I was talking to, here's what he said to me. Brian, if you didn't feel uncomfortable about lying and manipulating uh, folks, then I would worry about you because it's not normal. It is not how we are raised to be. So never, ever stop feeling that. Instead, what he told me to do was learn how to live like a light switch. Right? When you get into the field, you, you flip the switch on, do what you were trained to do. Then you flip the switch off when you get home or you work with your colleagues. And, and that is fundamentally how you navigate the world of espionage. And yes, he was right. And that was a very good piece of counsel I got very early on in my career. So Michelle, getting back to you and your question, this topic of when it is okay to do bad things if you're doing it uh, for good reasons? Well, that is a subject that, frankly, even adults struggle with. So I would encourage you to, to keep talking about this with your mom and your dad. And maybe when you get older, if you still think about it and wrestle with it, talk to a, a priest or a, a rabbi or a pastor. Because those are the people who have the wisdom and the training to help us think about these things, about morality. But in the meantime, at age 11, did you say? I just want to say that I like your brain. I like the way that you think. And I like your question because it was a really good one. And speaking of good and bad, we got a, a, another question. This is from Richard in Gladstone, Michigan. Brian, in your career, did you ever see a terrorist get reformed? You know, to go from bad to good. Or do we just need to kill all of them? So this is a really important question because how we answer this leads to all sorts of very important implications for intelligence, law enforcement, domestic policies, and there's a lot of very fair debate about it. So I'll tell you what I saw in the field dealing with counterterrorism operations. When someone gets involved in a terror group, they generally fall into one of three buckets. And I'm going to use some military technology or terminology here. First, We've got the private, right? These are the guys that were in some isolated village in Afghanistan or Iraq. And they were around age 14 to 20, give or take. And they were bored, poor, both. And they didn't have much of a future. And generally, somebody at some point in that era of their life, usually at the, the local mosque, would spot them and they would say, hey, kid, you want some adventure? You want to make some money? Get out of this village? And sometimes the pitch was a little bit more religious, like, hey, you want to fight the infidels or kill some Jews? And these young men were very impressionable, and they said, yeah, that sounds fun or important, or I don't care, get me out of this dump. And so off to jihadi training they went. So the point is, these young men were not religious zealots. They weren't raised to, to be fanatics. And if you can get to those guys early enough, yes, you can save them. You can reform them. They don't need to be jailed for life or killed. 
Well, that then takes us to the second bucket of jihadis, uh, as it were, the junior officers. So these guys, they've been around for a bit. They've had some training. They've drank the Islamist Kool-Aid. And they've got some darkness in their hearts. They have probably killed more than a few people. They've done some horrible stuff, but they knew it was horrible. They knew right from wrong. In other words, they still have a shred of their humanity. They haven't been totally corrupted. And these guys, they are on the fence as to whether or not they can be reformed or you've got to jail them or kill them. It's really on a case-by-case basis. So I will tell you that the Saudis, the Egyptians, and the Jordanians, they tried to build programs regarding these guys to, to save as many of them as possible. They set up what they call camps to basically reform them, to teach them about better ways or views of Islam. You know, don't blow yourselves up. They also give these young men who are mostly poor, they give them resources to to build a life, you know, pay for a wedding and such. Now, I will say that regarding these efforts and whether or not they work, I don't know what the latest data show, but I will say that in the past, it's been pretty mixed. So years ago, the Saudis, in fact, arrested about 90 people in a local Al-Qaeda cell, and 60 of them had just gone through their jihadi reform school. So... I would say on this category or bucket of junior officers, not a lot of great hope here. And then, of course, you've got the last bucket, the generals. These guys, they're they're the true believers. They are the ones who organize, finance, inspire the attacks. And you don't reform them. You jail them or you kill them. So ultimately, you just have to realize that they have no value to humanity. And if you do put them in prison... Well, they're going to cause you more problems because generally they radicalize others or they end up in, uh, you know, continuing to coordinate terror programs around the world. So oftentimes the best solution here with these guys, this bucket, the generals, you just kill them. In fact, to underline this threat, I want to give you this story. So we had a, a high value detainee, a terrorist, and he was in prison. We were interviewing him and somebody asked, hey, if you weren't in this prison cell, and we were outside in the in the real world, and we sat down to have a cup of coffee. Would we be friends, or at least civil? Because I've been questioning you now for years, and we get along pretty good. To which this Al-Qaeda guy says, oh no, I would kill you. So, there you go. So that's my two cents, Richard. Three different categories. Uh, you can generally save the privates, but uh, not the officers. And one last thing on this. There is no real clear and clean distinction between each of these buckets. There can be crossover. And that means that if you are one of these folks trying to reform, you are going to have to put in a lot of time and discernment into each and every person on a case-by-case basis. And actually, that gets to one of the things I mentioned at the top of answering this question. That is true of a lot of of radicals, isn't it? Not just Islamic radicals. I think that we're starting to see the same challenge starting to emerge from, say, our university systems in this country. A lot of young people have been indoctrinated by what we are now, I think, fairly calling these death cults or socialist extremists. So more on that issue, I am sad to say, in this country. I think we're going to have to wrestle with this much more broadly beyond just the Islamic radical issue. All right, let's take our first break of the morning. When we come back, we're going to talk more about the CIA and the future of the podcast. For subscribers listening at rightreport.substack.com this morning, thank you both for your financial support and all these great questions. Meanwhile, for my other loyal listeners, I am so grateful for you as well. 
We'll be right back. My friends, for the past few months, you have heard me talk about Jace Medical. It's the company that provides you medication for emergency use like antibiotics. Also, they get you backup prescriptions for things like cholesterol, diabetes, and blood pressure. And here's why I love Jace Medical so much. If you are a farming or a ranching family or you live in the back 40, it is pretty tough to get a hold of a doctor, to travel to the appointment, get the prescription, you fill it, and so forth. But with Jace Medical, all you have to do is fill out a simple online form and in some cases have a quick call with one of their board-certified physicians. And then you get the medication right in the mail. You also get ongoing care from Jace Physicians about any treatment-related questions, which is fantastic. In other words, folks, you get peace of mind, you get convenience, and you get an emergency supply of medicines no matter where you are. And that is great for a lot of people. Rural families, folks who are traveling, or those of us who might be a little bit anxious these days about our unpredictable world, and you might prefer to have an emergency supply of medicines on hand. And that's kind of smart. So do what I've done. Go to jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E, medical.com. Enter that promo code right, W-R-I-G-H-T is the spelling. And when you do, you will get a right report discount. Again, my friends, go to jacemedical.com, promo code right, and get the supply of medicines you need, folks, shipped straight to your door. Ladies and gentlemen, we all know that good meals equal a good, healthy body. And that's why I continue to tell you about Factormeals.com. They're the folks that deliver fresh, never-frozen meals right to your doorstep. All you do is open the box, and within two minutes of heating, they are ready to enjoy. And boy, do you have a lot to enjoy. You've got 35 different meal options to choose from every week, from things like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, even vegetarian foods, if that's your cup of tea. And we are talking about good food for breakfast, lunch, dinner, plus grab-and-go snacks and cold-pressed juices, shakes, and smoothies. By the way, I've got two recommendations for you. Their pork chops are top shelf, and I also love the mango smoothies. So there you go. But seriously, folks, I love Factor Meals. They are the perfect option for either very busy folks like me or retired folks who want good, healthy meals but don't want the fuss of cooking. So support the folks who support me and get Factor Meals right now at 50% off. Yeah. So here's how you do it. Go to factormeals.com slash right five zero. That's W-R-I-G-H-T five zero and get 50% off. Yes. That's code right five zero at factorymeals.com slash right five zero and get your 50% off. But I'll tell you, more importantly, you are going to get a meal service, my friends, that is good for your body and great for your taste buds. I promise. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue with our special year-end episode of Unscripted. It's our conversation between us all, driven by you, listener questions over the past number of months. Next up is Garrett near the city of Meadville, Pennsylvania. He wrote in saying, Brian, is the deep state real? And if so, how does it work? Well, I'll tell you, Garrett, we've had different flavors of this question over the past nine months, actually the last couple of years, really, for counting the old podcast. And it is both a big question, and it's really, really important for us to continue to remind ourselves about whether or not the deep state is real and how it works. So let's define deep state, 
or as some call it, the administrative state. So as we all know from our old civics classes from high school and such, the U.S. government is supposed to be run by the people for the people who then elect politicians to represent them, right? It is then the politicians that are supposed to do the bidding of all of us, run our business. But with the deep state or the administrative state, in this case, the voters and the politicians are a sideshow, right? The real power is held by the bureaucrats who ultimately aren't accountable to the voters and in turn use their administrative powers to control the politicians. So it is they who is in charge. So the question is, is that real? Because that's the allegation that it is. Well, let's talk about a couple of real life examples. About 30 years ago, there was a former CIA officer named Aldrich Ames. At the time he was deciding or had decided to spy for the Soviet Union. He was a traitor. And then he was caught. The FBI then asked him why he did it. And he said that it was because he disagreed with America's politicians about our foreign policy. And instead, he knew what was best for the country. And he decided to shape and change it by sharing CIA secrets. And he did. By telling the Soviets a lot of our very important secrets, he helped Moscow and hurt D.C. That was his goal. So fast forward about 20 years later, the FBI opened up what we now know to be called the Crossfire Hurricane Investigation. It was into Donald Trump, plus his campaign staff, uh, also him as a person. And it all surrounded this allegation of treasonous or a secret relationship with the Russians. And what we now know is that the FBI and its most senior officials used this investigation and their power, their position, to investigate people that, well, there was no credence to it. They just didn't like them politically. In other words, they tried to destroy Mr. Trump because they preferred his opponent, Hillary Clinton, or her Democrat party. And we know this is true now at this point. It is established fact. Indeed, you, you're, you might remember the Department of Justice. They had an inspector general who looked into this and found that the FBI director who led that crossfire hurricane, James Comey, well, the words that he used are that Comey set a dangerous example for what he did. But here's the craziest part to me. Senior Democrats knew that this was happening, that Crossfire Hurricane was going on, and indeed that James Comey was leading it in this way. But either they supported what was his treasonous behavior or they were too afraid to stop it. And if that seems conspiratorial, let me remind you of something. Senator Chuck Schumer of New York, he went on TV in the year 2017 and he told Rachel Maddow on MSNBC that the U.S. intel community has six ways of Sunday uh, to get back at you. And he was saying that in context of warning Trump that he was getting on their bad side. In other words, you know, criticizing the intel agencies. And he was absolutely stupid for doing it because they're going to strike back at him. Well, okay. Now, that is pretty clear confirmation that the most senior levels of the U.S. government believe that the deep state is real and politicians were afraid of them and are afraid of them. Again, that should cause a degree of outrage, concern. In fact, I think it should justify at some level the, a full-scale shutdown of the entire intel community until we figure out exactly what the six ways of Sunday might be you know, to stop our politicians from leading the country so that we can stop the corruption. But it has been six years since Chuck Schumer said that, and nothing has happened. 
there has been no national outrage, no crisis, no special round-the-clock coverage, no special investigations by the House or the Senate, nothing. So instead of a proper investigation, let's have that conversation here on this podcast, and let's ask each other this question. What might be some of those six ways to Sunday that they get to us or our politicians to control them, control the future of the nation? Well, let me just offer up four. So first, we know that these guys have access to emails, phone calls, text messages, especially through something called the 702 program that I briefed you on a couple of weeks ago. So we can reasonably assume that these folks in the intelligence community or IC, they monitor all of that stuff and they use this stuff in some cases up to and including blackmail. Second, and related to this first piece, Deep, uh, deep state actors, especially at the CIA, the FBI, and the NSA, folks, they are gatekeepers, fundamentally, of very important or critical intel and law enforcement information. And that means that they can choose to either leak it or bury it in order to suit their interests. So, for instance, we know this is true because of what you may recall, the Steele dossier from that Crossfire hurricane investigation. Now, if you recall this issue, the dossier was cobbled together by a British spy paid for by the Hillary Clinton campaign, and it was turned over to the FBI to investigate. And indeed, they did. They formed a, a special group that included the not just FBI, but also the CIA, NSA, and others. And they investigated it. And after only a couple of months, they found that the allegations inside the Steele dossier lacked credibility. It was partisan trash. And yet, in a very infamous briefing right before Trump took the oath of office, the FBI director, the James Comey fellow, plus CIA's director John Brennan and NSA's director James Clapper, they briefed Trump on not only the Crossfire Hurricane investigation, but they also told him about the Steele dossier. But that's very bizarre. There was no reason to brief something that they knew had no credibility. But here's the thing. They briefed the fact that this dossier existed and they gave it that this degree of credence just simply by briefing it. They did it because they knew that the brief and the dossier would then leak to the press. And by that, it would then create a just like a gasoline on fire. Indeed, they knew, in fact, uh, that it would create this, this hysteria amongst media or, or Democrats. It would be just hysteria injected into the veins and these folks would, be, would become high with a sort of a Trump-Russia hysteria. And the, the, the result of that is that it all but destroyed Trump's presidency. And that's true whether you like that man or not. But again, of course, that was the point. Brennan, Clapper, Comey, they leaked that dossier, the brief, to destroy the president. And I tell you, from my optic, it was and it remains one of the most egregious attacks on the American Republic ever or certainly in generations. And incredibly, all of those men are now walking free. So the point then on this one in terms of six ways to Sunday, understanding how they can take down people that they don't like, they are gatekeepers of critical information and they can leak that stuff or they can bury it and they can choose either of those two paths and whether to harm people because fundamentally, just like Aldrich Ames, they think that they know what is best for America and they're going to act on it, which, to be very clear, makes them all traitors, full stop. Right? And yet, 
I have to say, in what we just reflected on and spoke of, it takes us to a third way, you know, third way to Sunday, as it were, to, to help us understand how these guys operate, how a deep state operates. And here it is. So these guys in the deep state, in the administrative state, they have very important relationships with the U.S. media. Right, as I've shared with you before, it is well known within the intel community and within media circles that the Washington Post, that newspaper, it usually gets the stuff that the CIA wants to have leaked into the press. Meanwhile, the New York Times, they usually get the stuff that the FBI wants to have leaked into the press. And they do all the time. And I will tell you that the, the journalists, so-called, at these two institutions, are really just toadies for the deep state. Not all of them, but key editors and reporters sure are. In other words, this misinformation, disinformation, the stuff that gets leaked out of the CIA or FBI, it has to go into the hands of accomplices. And these relationships exist at these various organizations, and the CIA and FBI absolutely tends to those because they understand they have profound power when they build those relationships with these media outlets. And that takes us to the fourth and final way that the deep state operates. And this one's pretty obvious. These deep staters use their relationships with these media outlets and others to become overt propagandists. And by that, I, I mean this. These so-called officers, they will go on TV or they will write for newspapers and they will spread whatever message they desire. So, for instance, we saw this under President Trump and his administration. We saw these same clowns, Brennan, Clapper, Comey. They would go on these media outlets or write for them and they would basically use them as sort of parasitic hosts. Spreading their propaganda day after day. And they were promising Americans that Trump was a Russian traitor. But all the while, they knew that what they were saying was a lie. In fact, they had investigated the allegations and found them without credence. But they clearly continued to do it in hopes that they could remove Donald Trump from the White House. And instead, they would either install their preferred candidate, which was either Hillary Clinton at the time, or now Joe Biden. So, Garrett, I share and remind us all of this for one very important reason. These guys, these deep staters, they got away with it. And that means they will do it again. And by they, I mean that, okay, maybe Comey, Brennan, and Clapper will be the guys to do it again. But I suspect it's going to be a whole new group of people, new traitors, to be more accurate. And some could probably make the argument that right now those guys are at the Department of Justice. They are the ones prosecuting Trump on some pretty thin grounds, shall we say. Now, if all this seems just to be a bridge too far, too conspiratorial, I want to read something for you. Uh, they're the words from the Department of Justice's Inspector General. He wrote these words back in 2019 when he investigated what turned out to be the illegalities of the Crossfire Hurricane operation under Comey and those terrible men. So I want to read you these words. The responsibility to protect sensitive law enforcement information falls in large part to the employees of the FBI who have access to it. But former Director Comey failed to live up to this responsibility. By not safeguarding sensitive information obtained during the course of, it, of his FBI employment, and by using that information to create public pressure against Trump for official action to have him impeached, Comey set a dangerous example 
for the over 35,000 current FBI employees and the many thousands more former FBI employees who similarly have access to or knowledge of non-public information. So there you go. The inspector general is saying very clearly, this is not a conspiracy theory. There are now tens of thousands of people in the government with profound powers, with incredible knowledge that are now incentivized to do exactly what Comey did to to attack the Republic, all because of their personal politics. And they're going to do it because there has not been one single consequence. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why we have to watch this country so very carefully over the next number of years, or as my old high school uh, teacher Trigger was always fond of saying, eternal vigilance, that is how you keep your republic, not just for the next few years, forever. And with that, let's take our final break of the morning, shall we? And when we come back, we are going to talk a little bit more about me and more importantly, the future of the podcast. We'll be right back. Folks, if you're looking for a new mattress, I've got one at 60% off. Yeah, we're talking about Ghost Bed, the company that I think makes the finest mattresses in all of America. As you know by now, I have the Lux model. That one is designed to help people like me who sleep a little bit hot. But that is not the only reason that I bought a Ghost Bed. I care mostly about craftsmanship and high-quality materials. And when you feel a Ghost Bed, you feel both the quality and the comfort. And you feel it, by the way, right out of the box, delivered right to your doorstep. Now, I do have a confession on that point. I was a little bit skeptical about buying a mattress that comes in a relatively small box. But however that magic works, well, I don't know, but it does work. And the mattresses are absolutely fantastic. Still, if you are skeptical like I was, don't worry. Ghostbed has a 101-day trial period, plus free shipping and returns, so you can try it out in the comfort of your own home. So if you're looking for a mattress or you want to gift one to somebody this holiday season, go to ghostbed.com slash right. That's W-R-I-G-H-T. And when you do, you are going to get 60% off your ghost bed purchase. But you got to use that web address. Again, folks, go to ghostbed.com slash right, W-R-I-G-H-T, and get yourself the good night's sleep that you deserve. Welcome back to The Right Report. We wrap up this morning's episode of Unscripted with a couple of more questions about me and the future of the podcast. All right, Margaret in Missoula, Montana wrote in, which by the way, what a pretty place that is. Brian, she said, I've read a lot of stuff about you online. And one thing that I was surprised to learn was that you are or were a Democrat. So what's the story there? Well, Margaret, just uh, one quick note of caution. Do not believe everything you read about me on the internet. Because as it turns out, an outhouse is cleaner than the internet. A lot of lies and a dirt to wade through before you get to the truth on the internet. But yes, it is true in this case that for decades I was a registered and voting Democrat. So here's the story there with one caveat. I really don't like talking about this for a couple of reasons. First, I think it distracts from my job with this podcast, which is to provide you all facts and data with very sober analysis and opinion. And yet it it is fair uh, to ask to understand who I am, mostly to understand my potential biases. So that is why I'm answering this. Second, I will say that the term Democrat doesn't have much meaning anymore, nor does, frankly, Republican, because those two parties have just been scrambled over the past 20 years in terms of what they stand for. But nevertheless, let me answer your question, Margaret. 
So I grew up in a rural household that had both Republicans and Democrats. My granny and my grandpa were split on their party affiliations. My Grammy, for instance, was a lifelong Democrat. My grandfather was a Republican. And I'll tell you, of course, they had differences. My Grammy was much more concerned about making sure that there was a a social safety net for everybody. That's because she had a big heart and she was born and raised in poverty. So she wanted to make sure that folks were taken care of. My grandfather was a little bit more of a pick yourself uh, up by your bootstraps kind of man. Uh, He also had this very love-hate relationship with the government and corporations, especially big ag companies. So that same tension between the politics and the family, that existed within uh, others as well. But at the end of the day, as people had their debates about, you know, what the tax rates should be or the size of the government or those kinds of traditional arguments, everybody at the end of the day had a lot of stuff in common. Most especially everybody just loved this country. We embraced the Constitution. We saluted the flag. Uh, We came from a Christian tradition, but we just really wanted everybody to kind of live and let live. And that meant that so long as you, you know, paid your taxes, were a good neighbor and you were, you know, diddling the kids. Well, fair enough. Just mind your own business and I will mind mine. Plus, hmm, do not be a burden on me and I won't be a burden on you. And I should say that the second that you are a burden on me and my family, we would say, We are going to have problems because that means that I now have cause to frankly take some of your freedoms because you're treading on my freedoms. And finally, what I remember from growing up is that my family, they would say, look, don't force me to accept uh, accept something that I don't want to accept, certainly in terms of social issues. You can live however you want to live so long as everybody is a consenting adult. So that's the ethos, the politics, and the family that I came from. I I think that's a pretty classic Western rural family. And there were a lot of other classic Western politicians that kind of fit my family. The Democrats included. Guys like uh, the Democrat Speaker of the House back in the day, a guy named Tom Foley. Or there was a Democrat governor in Idaho called Cecil Andrus. Lots of those kinds of guys. But about 10 years ago, I started to see much more clearly that That era of a Democrat was dying, if not dead and gone. It was party, it was a party rather, that was increasingly full of people who frankly hated America, or they were just bigoted, or they were anti-Semitic, or they were violent thugs like Antifa, or they were a bunch of race rioters like BLM, or socialists and Marxists like AOC. And most especially for me personally, it ultimately became a party of insurrection, after what Democrats did in the 2016 election when they embraced the deep state, as we just discussed. With that, I was out. So that is that in terms of the history for me. And that is why on the podcast, I encourage us to remember the wisdom of George Washington. As listeners will probably remember, I've talked to you all about the fact that he believed that political parties were disastrous for the nation because you were focusing your mind and your heart on the party instead of focusing on the country first and foremost. So there you have it, Margaret. That is my political journey and my roots from a Western family that I suspect if you were born and raised in Missoula, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That is kind of what most of us were born and raised with. Ultimately, it was a a live and let live. And boy, oh boy, do not tread on me. Finally, this morning... Let's talk about this. A question from Shannon from somewhere in America. 
she asked me about the podcast. Brian, I've got my map out and I am ready to go around the world to more fun places. So where do you see us going in 2024? And also, how long is this podcast going to be around? You scared me in October. Well, Shannon, you're stuck with me. The podcast isn't going to go anywhere. The good news is that I've got some pretty good download numbers, a wonderful base of listeners, and I can pay my bills due to the generosity of paid subscribers. And to that point, I've got a little over 2,000 paid subscribers right now, which is pretty good. My biggest challenge, frankly, is just a lack of help. I spend 12 to 14 hours each day to research, write, edit, record each day's podcast, and that limits my ability to then do promotional work to let more people know about the right report and grow the podcast. And that's bad because if you're not growing, you're dying, as the old expression goes. So that's what I have to wrestle with in 2024. Now, I will tell you the possible solutions that I'm working on include possibly partnering with a corporate media outlet like the Daily Wire or The Blaze, maybe to license the show. And that would be a fun collaboration. The other solution is getting my paid subscribers to 5,000 people, and that is about 20% of my overall listeners. If I could get to that point, that would pay for a couple of staffers that I really need, but they are tough and expensive to find. And here's something that you might not know about that. So the people who are the script writers for Tucker Carlson or Rachel Maddow, they make upwards of $300,000 a year. And here's why. It's really hard to write like someone speaks, right? These script writers have to write a show each and every day in the way that either Tucker or Rachel Maddow would deliver it. And that's a really difficult challenge uh, to find. That is uh, to say it's it's a tough talent to perfect and then offer into the world. And it's one that ultimately commands a pretty high price. So that is then hard for independent folks like me to find and afford. So as for folks wondering, the answer is yes. I have tried to find lower-priced talent to no avail. And also, for what it's worth, I'm exploring using uh, artificial intelligence or AI and perhaps train it uh, to work with me. So we'll see how well that technology works out. I've got a great, wonderful man, uh, the founder, actually, of The Right Report, who's working with me on that. Thank you, Brandon. But the bottom line is, Shannon, keep your maps out. Because we are going to continue to go around America and around the world with lots of great things to talk about. I've got the farming update. Talked to you all about a while back ago. That is still in the hopper. We've got a Latin America brief that I want to give. Plus, I'm working on a new series called The Influencers. Now, it's going to be interviews with people that have influenced me over the years. Some of them famous, but most not. There'll be people who, for me, have provided wisdom or spirits of tenacity, great humor, notable success, and generally just good storytellers. I suspect that I'm going to offer that on Saturdays and keep our normal uh, normal broadcast uh, Monday through Friday as they are. So I think that'll be fun. Plus, a few times a year, I want to do this series, Unscripted, because I really enjoy it, and I sure hope you all do as well. And if you do, please keep your feedback coming. I have really enjoyed reading it over the past couple of days. Bottom line, good things to come for 2024. More to come, in fact. Can't wait.
And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. As always, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day. need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.